This is Fast Forward, brought to you by Tech Manchester. Starting a business is exciting. It gives you the freedom to create your own routine, work on something you're passionate about, and have a positive impact on the world. But running a business is a roller coaster. There's the long hours, the unpredictable workflows, the bootstrapping, which can also make it one of the most stressful experiences that you'll ever go through. Sadly, anxiety and depression is all too common amongst business owners. So throughout October, we're dedicating this podcast to mental health in the workplace. We're talking with founders who've experienced mental health issues and the so-called burnout, as well as experts who'll give tips on how to maintain a good mental health and look after yourself during times of intense pressure. Standing in a tin shed, waiting for a van to come. Oh friend, have you seen where my golden tickets Welcome back to Fast Forward. The month of October, we've been using this podcast to really highlight and promote the importance of mental health. It's World Mental Health Day on the 10th of October. um, So if you haven't listened to them, I'd urge you to do so. We've heard firsthand from founders who've suffered from burnout, as well as from wellbeing experts, giving us a ton of tips and help in terms of keeping a positive mental attitude, both for us as individuals and for you, uh, for your businesses. So check it out. It's all free. It's available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just hit subscribe and check out those episodes and help you build a better mental health. Each year, millions of people in the UK experience suicidal thoughts. And my guest today was one of them. The feelings of guilt and shame that she felt coupled with burnout and depression led her to suffer a mental breakdown. Alice Lyons is now using her experience to help others. And Dark Coffee, her company, creates safe spaces for people to have compassionate, curious and courageous conversations. The company is helping businesses and communities to develop a wider health culture. And Alice joins me today to share her journey. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alice. Thanks for having me. Um, We will get into dark coffee and what it is all about and what you're trying to achieve. But I wanted to really start and look at what was life like for you before dark coffee. Where has your career taken you and how did it end up becoming the challenges that it did and and how you've turned that around? Well, in terms of uh, career trajectory, I've gone in all sorts of different directions. I'm one of these annoying people who's just interested in loads of different things. <laughs> so after uni, after I couldn't get a graduate scheme, I bounced around different things. So I kind of fell into hospitality, but then started doing management there and just realised that I love people. and I love creating these kind of positive environments. I love people to walk into a cafe or a shop and just love the experience that they're having. Um, so I've always been a really kind of positive, happy person from the outside. You think like I'm a very extroverted person. I've always been very sociable. So that kind of fed into my work that I was doing. And um, yeah, I kind of bounced around different things. I, I started doing interior design a couple of years ago. And through working in interior design, I started doing marketing for uh, small sort of independent companies. So my most recent career has taken me through marketing and um, and content production and things like this. And last year, just randomly, I decided to start doing uh, public speaking mm-hmm. just to kind of increase my skill set because we all know now you have to promote yourself online a lot more. You have yeah. to be able to confidently kind of sell yourself and yeah. your services. Um, so I started doing that. And obviously, I was quite confident and stuff going into that. So I didn't really think too much of doing the course. 
Um, but what I realised is, as comfortable as I was speaking, I wasn't really using that platform in the in the way that I should be using it. I should be using it to tell, you know, a big story or, or raise awareness of a particular issue. And I was kind of racking my brain trying to think what I should talk about. And um, and then it kind of dawned on me that um, the one the one thing I should talk about is probably the one thing that I wouldn't want to talk about, and that was my mental health and and how detrimental it had been throughout my 20s. And I should really use this as an opportunity to spread awareness because I was a very confident speaker. And mm. what good is it to be confident if you're not going to use that sort of power for good? Um, so it, it was a horribly terrifying experience because uh, I'd never spoken about having suicidal thoughts at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents were in the audience and they had no idea. Um, so it was kind of like a big, <laughs> kind of dramatic coming out almost. Right, with the big reveal. yeah. Um, which we're still kind of working through. It's still very awkward in my yeah. house. <laughs> I can imagine it must be so difficult for your parents to hear that you were going through such yeah. incredible pain and that they, because you've just described your career mm. like this kind of happy-go-lucky, I mm. did this and then I did this and I did this, but actually running alongside parallel to that, you must have been experiencing some significant um, emotional pain. Um, so t- let's talk about, let's talk about that. Mm. Um, so, that started happening in in your 20s? Yeah, I think it was really when I was making that transition from sort of college to uni, I went through the whole identity crisis of what am I doing, oh my God, and panicking. Mm-hmm. What did you do at uni? I, um, I followed my interests really because I, I was only really going to uni because everybody told me to. So <laughs> I was like, oh, I may as well just do something that I like doing. So mm-hmm. um, I, I love writing. So I did creative writing and media communications. So again, all yeah. about people. Full about, circle. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But it didn't make sense for years afterwards. So if you're listening and you're at uni and you don't know what to do, just do what you like. And, uh, <laughs> everything will fall into place later. Um, so, you know, my parents are kind of okay with it because it's kind of English. So yeah. I'm like, fine, go do that. Um, but I just really struggled. Even, even What through, do your parents do? They, uh, they're both retired now, lucky yeah. them. Uh, so they're just loving life. Uh, but my mum my uh, was a stay-at-home mum for... Uh, my childhood and then she worked part-time she did library work and things like that um but very much sort of at home and around us and my dad was quite high flying in EDF he was the sort of okay. health and safety executive so very 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 corporate very mm. sort of very traditional traditional gender roles really um so it was always instilled in me to you know find something you want to do do it for life work you know get a job for life yeah essentially so did they have a view on what you were going to go to do you at university? No, they weren't really pushy in that respect. They just they just wanted me to figure it out, really. Do something. Yeah, because yeah. I was always very... Because my attention just flits in different directions. I was very scatty and they were like, look, if you just focus, <laughs> you'll do a bit <laughs> it's better. It's easy for you to say. <laughs> yeah, so I think they were just a bit exasperated by the whole thing. <laughs> but they've always been incredibly supportive. They're good people. Um, but yeah, I, I hid everything from them, really. I remember... Um, yeah, going to college and talking to my friends and you just get so good at hiding things because you're so busy all the time and distracted with your friendship group and then you're going out and then you're going to work. But you're just busy in your mind, aren't you? Yeah, you're just busy all the time. There's no room for for quiet space and then you get home and I was living with my parents all through uni as well. So I have my family at home. So there was there was nowhere to hide really ever. So any kind of internal feelings I had, I just had to keep them in because there's no way of expressing them. There's no time, there's no space. Um, so when did they start or did it start as suicidal thoughts or did it start as something else? When did you become aware of it? No, I think it, it started as depression and I didn't really recognise it as such because I think it was it was sort of 11 years ago now. So there wasn't as much of a conversation around it, especially mm. on social media and stuff. We're a lot more aware now. Um, but I had no mental health education through school that I can remember. So I just didn't know what I was feeling. I just I just felt awful quite often, just... 
for me, it's very, I'm very, my highs are very high and my lows are very low. The lows don't creep in as much as they do with other people. A lot of people will experience sort of low level depression for sustained periods. Mine would kind of hit me out of the dark and I'd just be like, why do I feel like I don't want to get out of bed today? Why do I feel just everything is kind of pointless? It was a really mm. bizarre feeling because I always consider myself a big lover of life and really enthusiastic. Um, so to have this kind of opposite Alice emerge at these times, it was really confusing. And um, I remember I had a boyfriend from the age of 21 going on to 25 and I remember when I was at uni, I would I was sometimes not even going to uni because I just couldn't face it. Yeah. So I'd go to, I had a key to his house. He lived with his parents, but they gave me a key to their house. So I'd leave my house, pretend I was going to uni, go to his house. And I'd sometimes just lie on the sofa and just be staring out the window. And I, I didn't have a way of expressing what I was feeling. Mm. I, I couldn't say to someone like, I've, I've not done anything today. I haven't spoken to anyone. I can't do anything. I, I didn't have the the vernacular for it and I didn't have anyone that kind of resonated with me and I think you know bringing it to what I do now I think that's why I find the podcast so powerful is because I know how it feels to feel isolated and what you're feeling and how much you know when you're struggling to find the words for yourself how powerful it can be to hear someone else saying what's in your head and then just saying oh my god I'm not on my own yeah um but yeah I was I was very isolated with it for a really long time and um when I when I graduated and went into management for a coffee shop, uh, again, full circle, Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I had to paint the smile on. You're there for long hours in a day. You're looking after your guests and your and your teams and everything else. And yeah, it was just, just the pressure of living this kind of double life of always being on. Mm. I just, I noticed the, um, specifically the suicidal thoughts were coming when I was, um, when I finally did have a chance to stop. So say if I was, traveling if I was driving somewhere yeah I'd just be I don't want to go into too much detail but I would be thinking like oh I could I could easily just do my car off the road and yeah. it'd just be this kind of fleeting thought but it would kind of it would just give me a bit of it was almost like uh, escapism it was like a little fantasy that I would have and I would kind of enjoy it for the moment that I was thinking about it which sounds really bizarre but it was that kind of relief that you get from having that thought of if everything gets too much there's always a way out and yeah. it was um yeah, it was something that I noticed. I didn't really pay too much attention to it because I was like, that's really stupid. That's a stupid thing to think. But I would revisit these thoughts on a sort of increasingly frequent basis. And I remember sometimes after sort of a 12 or 14 hour shift, you know, working the whole day in the coffee shop, being absolutely mm. emotionally exhausted and drained, I'd go to the bus stop and I'd be looking at the building across the road and having this kind of fantasy where I'd be walking through this really fancy reception and going up in the lift and and but then going up to the roof and then just being like you know I could just I could just jump off the top of this building if I wanted to and again it was that kind of escapism mm. of having that thought and um yeah I think I think there's a lot of misconception around suicidal thoughts it, it always seems big and dramatic and people think it means you're you're immediately in crisis and you're standing on a bridge but the majority of people who have suicidal thoughts will never act on it it is a coping mechanism, really. It's, it's a manifestation that something in your life is wrong and it should be dealt with. Um, but the thoughts in themselves don't always feel bad necessarily. Sometimes it, it's sort of comforting to think. It gives you a sense of perspective on your life because when everything feels overwhelming and all-consuming, yeah. you're like, well, it doesn't last forever. Everything passes. And yeah, it, it went on for a long time. Not, not in very intense bursts often. It would be, you know, I, I go through a couple of weeks and things would be hard and I'd feel them a lot and then it would go and I wouldn't I wouldn't feel like that for months and months so I would never I never looked for help because I thought 
it went away. Yeah. And um, if you look at a lot of mental health guidelines and things of what is mental health, what are the kind of parameters for diagnosis, it gives you these really arbitrary timelines. And it says, well, you have to feel this bad for this long in this many, you know, this many boxes need to be ticked. And I think it's such a a massive spectrum of experiences that we can all go through. And it, it fluctuates with your energy levels and your life circumstances and the environment you're in. Yeah. Like, how how is anyone supposed to meet any of those criteria? Yeah, and I don't think we, we don't really understand enough about it. No. There's, you know, there's you know paltry amounts of money going into the research at the mm-hmm. minute. Um, so that evolved and kind of, kind of I guess, snowballed and, and led to you suffering a mental breakdown eventually. How, yeah. How, how did that come about? It's weird. I, I do refer to it as a mental breakdown, but it almost feels too dramatic. It was, um, but it's, it is accurate, I think. It, um, well, what did it look like to so, you, just if you can? Explain. Yeah. So what happened was over a couple of years, I was experiencing these um, health problems. I had a, a undiagnosed stomach condition and it got fobbed off as this and that. I'm misdiagnosed. And eventually I needed to go to A&E because there were these pains in my stomach and I thought something was exploding. Mm-hmm. So I had to go to A&E. I had to have an operation. And um, and it was after the operation and when, again, when I finally had that chance to stop that I suddenly thought, I, I'm just not happy with my life. I, <laughs> I blame the medication partly because it was very brutal, but it really was that kind of clarity that I needed of looking at my life. And I, I was so resistant to coming off work because they, they sent me home after A&E and I had to wait for the operation. And in those few weeks, I was just like, I, I don't want to be off work. I really don't. I, lo- I love my job. And then when I had the time off, I was like, well, actually, no, I don't love my job and I don't, my relationship isn't right and this isn't right. And um, so it was kind of an immediate turnaround. I, I broke up with a boyfriend um, and I just said, like, I just, I just need to figure stuff out. Um, so it was a really difficult, I think the recovery was only, it was only a few weeks and then I was back to work and stuff. But the the wheels were in motion then. It, that mm. was the catalyst for all the changes and I started just kind of looking into personal development and how you can change your life. I really didn't know where to start, but, you know, the poor boyfriend was the, the first <laughs> the thing to go. Yeah, poor guy. But he understood in the end. We, we, we um, had some uh, debriefs afterwards and it was all fine. But, um, yeah, sometimes it's, it's one of those corny things of having a uh, a, a rock bottom moment to make yeah. you turn around. Um and did that start a healing process straight away or, you know, was it was there a period of just kind of even just process and what was happening? Yeah, I'd say. And then how did you get turned around? Yeah, I think it's um, it's always a healing process because your life, you go through so many different experiences and you always need to have that kind of like a debrief afterwards and say, okay, what happened? What do I need to do? How do I need to redirect? So it was, it was quite a slow process because that was the first time that I'd really considered the suicidal thoughts um I'd, I'd had did you recognize it then like when did you recognize when you, you know because obviously you were having them you knew what they were but yeah you, you know you weren't going I am having suicidal thoughts yeah you know what was it that made me think I think it was probably listening to some kind of content around it because I started yeah. listening to TED talks and things like that so when I had that time off work I remember I was I got into TED talks in that period and having people describe oh, I had suicidal thoughts and I wanted to steer my car off the road specifically, like saying the exact thing that I'd been thinking. And I yeah. was like, oh, you were able to you give consider it a label. that. Exactly. Um, I'd sort of dipped into the, the the idea that I had depression a couple of years prior because as I was moving up through the ranks in the coffee shop specifically, I was really struggling with thinking, is this is this the right thing? Or am I, I just wanted kind of support for going into a management position really because mm. I struggled with leadership. I had a lot of kind of imposter syndrome around being a leader. 
Um, so I had some kind of life, life coaching for that. And as I was going through the, the coaching process, I, I was like, you know what, I just feel miserable all the time. And then she, I think I started looking into it and then I saw depression. And yeah, there was kind of an exploration of that in the two years leading up to the breakdown, but not enough to kind of <laughs> put it off, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but that was good. So I carried on with the, I don't know whether to call her a life coach or a therapist. I guess she was a therapist, really. I carried on with the therapist through the breakdown and through the kind of direction. And that really helped me because it, it gave me someone to bounce ideas off of and a, a little bit of guidance. And um, she could give me some advice on not just my career, but the, how it fits into the rest of my life and what kind of things I wanted to focus on. So that was really helpful. But even with the therapist, I remember I didn't tell her that I was suicidal because I had to sign this very um, formal disclaimer at the beginning of working together mm-hmm. saying, this is the agreement that we're signing up for. If you ever mention suicidal thoughts or I think there's a risk to you, um, I need to refer you to this, 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 this place. And I was I was terrified. I was yeah. like, I, I don't feel like I'm on the edge. I, I just feel yeah. emotional. But there's such a spectrum of what that involves. But if you say the word suicide, I don't know if it's different now. Perhaps it is. But definitely at the time, I didn't feel comfortable saying the word suicide to her because mm-hmm. I just thought it would go it would take it somewhere else yeah it would just go to the other end of the spectrum and I just didn't I didn't associate with that end and it's, I think that's um a lot of the the conversations that I have is trying to promote that point of you know there's such a difference between having a thought and acting on it mm. and we just need to get better at talking about the whole process yeah and then it will hopefully through people feeling more comfortable it will stop them getting to that point yeah um so the therapy was key to your sort of healing and starting to understand? I think it was because, like I said, when you feel so alone, you don't really know where to go for help. If you go to the doctors, I went to the doctors a few times and they said, because your your kind of episodes are fleeting and they're here and then they're not, they were quite resistant to label it as depression. Mm. Um, they were quite reluctant to put me on any medication, which I'm, I'm sort of grateful for now. And the way they explained it was because... Um, if I had like low level depression that was there all the time, then you can medicate it because the medication yeah. takes a while to have effect. But if it's here and then it's not, it's, it's harder to moderate in that way. Um, so, yeah, the therapy was good because it, it just gave me a chance to explore my thoughts in a really, it kind of created that safe space of like, okay, we're here for an hour. You can say whatever you want to say. There's no judgment. Mm-hmm. And then we'll figure out a kind of plan of how to progress after that. And there were kind of action points to take away. And there were always, things I could explore and go in, think about and stuff. And I just think day to day, we're not very good at that self-awareness practice. We're not that good at reflection and stuff, unless unless somebody's there to guide you through it in the beginning. Because we're not taught that at any stage. We're not taught self-care in school. When, you know, unless our parents are really, really up on this and this is an interesting topic for them. You know, we don't have parenting classes. So how are parents supposed to know to teach their mm. kids that? It's, it's one of these things because it's not integrated into our everyday lives. Um, we just don't know how to do it. So we need teachers sometimes. So yeah, that was really important for me. Um, and just to figure things out, sometimes just talking out loud is a great way of reaching conclusions. And that's yeah. something I try to give that technique to people. I say, if, if your thoughts are going a million miles a minute and you don't know what you're thinking, instead of writing it down, try getting your phone out and doing a voice memo. Yeah, And you'll actually find the process of speaking. Your brain has to slow down because your, your brain just does go quicker than your mouth. And actually, as you speak it, you, you can kind of start to have a conversation with yourself and say, oh, well, actually, that sounds like a stupid thought. Why am I thinking that? And just 
you kind of talk yeah, to yourself around. Talking, talking to yourself. Yeah, it is talking yeah. to yourself, but um, it's a very valid technique. It's um, it's just a case of taking something intangible that's in your head and making it real. And when you say when you make something real, then you can start to deal with it. Whereas if you leave it in your head, it can just spiral because you you just imagine you, your imaginary world has no limits. So you can just make things yeah. worse and worse and worse, and then your emotional. Uh, your feelings come into it because the more you think about something the more your body starts reacting to it and it just it just becomes worse whereas if you just get it out you can start to find solutions for it so the whole process that you've just described or not process but experience um from you know the hospital um you know the recovery of the operation which led to Mm. your breakdown which led to your healing process with your therapist and your self um self-learning um you, you had kept that all hidden from family and friends. Anybody had any idea what you were going through? At this point, when I started to, when I had the operation and things, I think that's when I started to talk to my mum about it. I don't mm. remember ever talking to my dad. Um, obviously, my dad was involved in like driving me to the hospital and stuff like that. So the physical side of things, he yeah. was very much in the loop. Um, and when I, when I looked for therapy, I believe I was paying for it myself. And I said to my mum, I just need to figure things out. I, just, I kind of kept it focused on the job aspect. Yeah, the life coachy kind of stuff. Yeah, and just saying, you know, I just need a bit of direction. I need to figure out what I want to do. And I just feel like I need help with it. So she was really supportive of that. And um, I, I was kind of using loose language to say, you know, I just feel down all the time because I feel like I don't have a lot of direction and stuff. And she could, she could see that it was affecting me. So there was an element of truth in everything. But there was never the full truth. So yeah. um, I think it's that kind of, there was an element of self-censorship going on, which probably added to all the stress and anxiety and stuff that I was feeling. And then overlay onto this, what you described regarding your career. So you had been doing the marketing for the companies at this stage? Has started Not at that speaking. stage. That was sort of later on. So yeah. um, from from the coffee shop, I sort of did a bit of a sidestep with that same company. I started working in a hotel, which yeah. is <laughs> like such a stupid decision on reflection. <laughs> it's such a fast paced, really stressful place to be. But I think, um, I, I don't know, sometimes I feel like my younger self was running away a lot of the time because she couldn't. It was so scary to be thinking about these sorts of, you know, I was thinking about big questions like, what am I doing in life? Who do I want to be? What is life? And what do I care about and stuff? These are all really big, scary questions that I, yeah. didn't, I didn't really want to deal with. So it's nicer to focus on work and to, to go and try and focus on that for a while. Um, so I got this really ridiculously stressful job to keep going through the management thing. And yeah, bounced around for a couple of years before I fell into marketing. Um but then I say I fell. It's it's very much through following my curiosities and just I was I was starting this process of curating my life. So I think the life coaching helped me to realize, okay, you need to make decisions about your life, not just go with what other people will tell you to do. Because I was getting promoted because I was very good at my job and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, fine, not really No control. No control, no. I was just being pushed into stuff. So it, from this point I started making a bit more discerning decisions and um the hotel I wasn't there for long. I was there for about six months because I was like, I've just had enough. So I was like, what do I want to do? Oh, maybe an office job. That was a very considered decision. And the industry I went into was very considered. And then, but then that didn't work out. So I was like, okay, fine, we'll pivot. And it was just, it was kind of nice because I think the fact that I'd had such a chaotic kind of breakdown, that that process kind of taught me off of the back of it that things can go really, really wrong and you do come out the other side of it. So the worst is going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it gave me a kind of sense of perspective in that respect, which is good. Um, I still wasn't great at handling my emotions and still, you know, very up and down, but at least I was having more agency over my life. So that was, that was a bit, you know, that, that settled me a little bit. Yeah. And I sort of moved out away from home, which was nice. So I was gaining a bit, yeah, just a bit more 
more agency over my life, a bit more confidence in what I was doing as well. I could see, you know, I don't need my parents around me to be fine. <laughs> I can look after myself, yeah, which is good. Um, but the whole thing is a process. It was it was a really long time, like to get me to here from there. That's a six year process, and it was constantly refining, constantly making a lot of mistakes, not monitoring my mental health, and it going to pot again to a certain extent. Um, and suicidal thoughts kind of would revisit every now and then. I think the last time I would say was probably like low level thoughts would be August last year. So still really recent. Mm -hmm. Um, That was immediately before, well, very, very shortly before I did the talk. Um, So it was very fresh in my mind. And do you think that was the stress of sort of anticipation of what you were going to say? I don't know. I just think because I was still struggling with the work aspect and the kind of the the thing I've discovered in the last year is how important your values are in everything that you do. So if you really solidly know what your values are and you make all of your decisions in line with that, your work, mm-hmm. your your relationships, everything, everything works out. So actually the external things that you're seeking, they cease to make too much of a difference. You know, they don't matter as much. But I, I didn't realise that then. I was still thinking, yeah. I need to get the right job. I need to know my purpose. I need to know how I deliver value. Because this, this is like the marketing yeah. <laughs> talk coming in and the personal branding of like, who are you? What are you delivering? <laughs> let's create loads of stress on myself. Yeah, let's like put myself in a box. Like, what am I offering to the world? And actually, it, it, to live your best life and to be the most happy in, in your own skin, it comes down to knowing what your core is. And I think that comes to knowing your values and stuff. And that's... Yeah, I think I was struggling with that a little bit because as as happy as I was in work and stuff, I've still felt like, why am I still struggling with this? And it was a kind of frustration of feeling like I'd gone so far, but not quite broken through. So the talk, Mm. you decided to, this six-year process culminated in your first um, public speaking in front of 100 people, including family and friends, Yeah, um, where you broached this topic and and told your story. Yeah. was that like, what was that like? What was that experience like? How did that become the catalyst moment to tea dark coffee or was it? Yeah, yeah, you know? very much so. It was um, it was mad because like I said, I was very confident the whole way through that process of going to the to the meetings. It was sort of an extracurricular course, you know, so all the people that are there have paid to do it and they really are invested in public speaking for whatever reason. And I loved it. I found it really, I stood up and I kind of entertained people and people said, oh, you're so natural and you're so, and I didn't script anything really. I normally had mm-hmm. a beginning, a middle and end and a kind of point I was trying to communicate, but I, I didn't script anything. Um, so they liked the delivery and stuff. So, every, you know, I never really felt nervous when I was talking in the in the classes. Um, and then it got to the day of it and um, I was shaking and people could see me really nervous for the first time. And I was saying, I was up first and um, and they were saying, you know, are you feeling all right? And I, in my head, I was still going between this new talk that I'd done. I called it Dark Water and an old speech that I'd done that was mm-hmm. about kind of community engagement and helping other people and all things I'm super passionate about, but not the most important thing I could use that platform for. So it was it was terrifying. It was honestly terrifying. And as I stood up there, I could feel my voice shaking. It I, They recorded it. And amazingly, it didn't show as much as I thought it did. So that was kind of cool to watch it back because and I think that's the thing with public speaking because that happens to me all the time yeah. happened to me on Tuesday yeah <laughs> posting in the lorry yeah it's like oh I sound like I'm about to start crying but yeah it, um, everybody was like no it didn't come across that way at all but it's completely normal and like yeah. we feel our body reverberate no one else can feel it so it's it's just a it's very very common and I you know now I, I talk to people all the time even before I go on air when I'm 
doing my podcast, my heart rate starts going yeah. up and my mouth goes dry. Like it's always going to happen, but it's just knowing like that's normal. That just means it's go time and it's just my body's gearing up and stuff. It's just reframing what's happening. Um, but yeah, genuinely super terrified to do that. And it was, it was really cathartic. It was like such a release when I kind of spoke about it. And the reason I called it dark water is because um, about a week, so this was a really last minute decision, about a week before I did the talk, I had a very vivid dream about being on a boat and being like the captain of your ship and getting it from A to B and everything's fine when the weather's fine. But then a storm comes, you go overboard and you're in this dark water and everything's a bit tumultuous. And and after a few sort of dream hours of paddling around, you have to decide, do I do I keep struggling to get back to the boat or do I just, do I let go? Do I let myself drown? And I woke up and I was like, well, that's a metaphor if ever I saw one. So that's very much just a, a depiction of suicidal thoughts. And um, and that kind of, you know, if if I were to move to action, it would be that decision of do I do I let go or do I struggle on? And um, <laughs> I just felt after that dream, I just felt compelled to talk about it. So, so I didn't have long to prepare. I only had this week to get, get myself psyched up for it. And yeah, I think it's probably one of the most terrifying things I've ever done, if not the most terrifying. And um but then afterwards, the release of the kind of burden is gone. I got a huge round of applause and like the next speaker came up and grabbed me and hugged me and she was crying and I was crying. And um, and it was just, it was very, um, it just really connected me to other people because afterwards everybody was talking to me about it and saying like, I haven't been that far, but I, I recognised myself in some of what you were saying. Or some people were like, I completely understood everything you were saying. And I just, the, the feeling Which is was... so sad in some ways. Yeah, but it was also so humanising because mm. we... These kind of things always bring us so closely together. I remember um, about a year and a half ago now, I had a, a huge breakup and one of the best ways of moving through that process that, and the way that I got through it was um, I was working in another cafe at the time. So there was a bit of a, a bit of a lull on my CV, but I ended up running this cafe and I was saying to my customers, do you know what? I, I, I might look a bit rubbish today because I had a breakup and it's really sad. And everybody was like, oh, what happened? And we were sharing all these horrible breakup stories, but there was humour there and there was... Um, mm connection and warmth and camaraderie and stuff and it's it's sometimes the worst experiences that that kind of they affect you the deepest but some of the most beautiful things can come out of them as well um because everybody's been through them and the more you share those stories the more normal you feel yeah so those that that talk that emotional experience started Mm. the dark coffee podcast which is still going yes yeah yeah but then that's now evolved into a business yeah. So um so the process went talk, went to the pub with my housemate, had a had a couple of drinks and uh, <laughs> said, I want to talk more, I want to push this further. How can I I just felt this kind of mission bubble up. And he was like, Oh, you should just do a podcast because you listen to podcasts all the time. I was like, Oh yeah, I should. So it just kind of started as a bit of a hobby and a kind of passion project. Um and then yeah, so I started doing that on the side of my marketing job. And I then started thinking, oh, how could I how could I push this forward? Because I don't really know how to market a podcast necessarily. I could do with a bit of help in that. And just through networking and all the things I was doing in my day job, I got to meet a guy who suggested I join an entrepreneur accelerator scheme. And there was kind of like a baby entry level one. Yes. It was called a pre-accelerator. Yeah. That's with uh, Nat West in Manchester. And it was for people who have like the bare bones of an idea. They just want to explore it a little bit more. So I joined that. And um, all I wanted to do was monetize the podcast because I was like, I just want to do it more. If I can monetize it, I can do it more regularly. And um, through doing that, I was like, I need to stay on this thing. I need to keep working with these people. So I moved on to the full um, 
offering, which is called the Accelerator. So that's more for, really it's for people when they're trading. And I wasn't trading at that time. I was just thinking like, I, I want to turn this into a company. I just feel, because I was talking to all these amazing business owners and people that were further down the road from me. And again, it's that thing of normalizing things. And the fact that everybody was just going about making money off of doing what they loved. I was like, oh, maybe Make I can do that. Yeah, there must be a way. So, um, so yeah, it's through doing that course. I'm just ending the six months now. Um, so it's become more than the podcast in those few months. So it's super new still. It's, it's really just getting started, but it's so exciting to see how much it's grown in those six months. And, and the possibilities now are just huge. And what does it do? So we do talks and workshops are the, are the kind of main offering. Uh, so I'm looking to go into SMEs. Schools are approaching me more and more now and academies and give really inspirational talks to be this kind of catalyst for change in others as well. So we create safe spaces for people to be able to have really open discussions, but also just to explore their own mental health in whatever way that manifests. So we can do things like journaling exercises. I think it's important when you do mental health work to give people individual space as well as, you know, it's nice to have the conversations all together and to to know that there's a community around you. But we all need personal headspace and we all need to have that checking in process. Um, so we do individual activities, we do group activities and I just kind of debunk a lot of myths, really. We have it, the the strap line for dark coffee is uh, mental health unfiltered. And I really wanted to call it bullshit free. But some people don't like that. <laughs> <Not likely. laughs> so, so the podcast is very much bullshit free. And the style definitely carries through into the work that I do. But, you know, we have to make it a bit more PC for the, we for the marketing materials. We do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's basically what we do. We we talk very openly about our experiences, myself and other facilitators. We talk openly. Um, the other facilitators are very much in the works at the moment because that's mm. just me. But I know the people that are going to be working with them. Like, yeah. You know, they're, they're prepared for they it. They know who they off. are. They absolutely. They're listening now. They know. 100%. <laughs> I've told them all. So let's look at business then. How uh, important is it for business to develop a positive mental health culture? It's everything. It is the most important thing, I think, because we're so, I think historically business has always been run on systems and uh, very tangible things that we can say, cut and dry, this is what needs to happen, this is the process in place, blah, blah, blah. It's been that way since probably in the Industrial Revolution is the biggest culprit for that. We need systems, we need processes, and as a business scales and it gets bigger and harder to keep an eye on everybody, it's even more important to have those structures in place. I'm not anti-structure, but I think the problem with that is that you lose the humanity along the way. You lose the individual differences and you're just focusing on, you know, the same thing I was doing. Go, go, go all the time, push, push, push. And there's no time to to look at the flip side of that, which is nurturing and it's rest and it's reflection and all these, the kind of opposite side of the coin. Um, so I think businesses, I feel like they have an obligation to look after their teams for that reason, because we have to look after their physical health and your mind is so intrinsically linked to everything about you. Mm-hmm. It seems weird to me that we're not doing anything to safeguard emotional well-being as well. But more than the obligation, I think companies should want to do it because we're all just made people. up of individuals. Just yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. So what advice would you have for founders um, and businesses to help look after themselves and also their employees? What kind of, what would be your takeaway tips for us to wrap up this afternoon? That would be the first thing is to think about yourself. Um, (laughs) I I get a bit of flack for saying people need to focus on themselves first, but I really think for you to be the best leader you can be, to make the best decisions and to take on, you know, what can be a pretty heavy topic, you need to be acting from a place of um, absolute clarity and, and well-being in yourself. So Look to yourself and get clarity on your own values and and sort of know who you are as a person and get some kind of confidence in that first. 
then just look, reach out to people. The the community in Manchester specifically is really, really strong. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of content on LinkedIn. I do a lot of networking and go out meeting people. And we all have the same problems. We really, really do. We're all at different levels of, you know, pretending to be a grown up. So <laughs> some of us do it more successfully than others. But the people who are the happiest are the ones who are just so self-aware, so, you know, confident. And they have that strong core. And yeah. then everything else stems from that. So just... Surround yourself with the best people. If you're scared of networking, please just, you know, I can just give you tips it. on that. Yeah, but just say yeah, that. you can. Yeah, I remember at the LinkedIn local event that we had here, actually, yeah. um, someone was saying you can walk in and be completely honest and say, I'm so scared of networking. You can even set up a group. Say on LinkedIn, I'm going to this event. I'm an introvert. I don't want to walk in on my own. Does anybody want to link up yeah. and go as a group? You know, you can do Use these hashtags, things. Yeah, people. absolutely. And um that level of authenticity is really what I'm trying to bring back. I think authenticity is a bit of a, very much a, an overused hashtag in itself. But what it comes down to is just saying something that resonates with you and is actually true and a little bit vulnerable sometimes. Mm. And other people will come to you. So, you know, if, if you're in a company where you've never spoken about mental health before, one of the most powerful things a leader could do would be to share, share a story of their own. Yeah. Even if it's just a story of, you know, I don't, think I have any particular struggles with mental health but I've seen it in other people and this is my opinion on it and this is what I'm going to try and do this is my commitment to you just kind of open that platform to say I want to do more about it I'm emotionally involved in the topic and I want you guys to feel like you can come to us and you know there's all sorts of organizations that can bring in processes and well-being programs it's it's a big it's a big thing but it starts with you yeah as an individual just say I'm making the commitment to look into this more and I want to speak to more people who know more about it than me. And there's so many events and, and places that you can start to investigate that. Yeah. I think the figure of one in four people mm-hmm. that experience mental health, mm-hmm. when you consider that they then are connected people or partners and families, the, the figures are much lower. It's probably one in two have either experienced it mm-hmm. through themselves or through others. Um, so I think no matter who it is, they'll 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 have some personal story behind that. Absolutely. Alice, I've really enjoyed um, our conversation this afternoon and thank you for your um, candour and total honesty in terms of your own personal uh, story. And it's incredibly inspiring that you're now using that um, to help others. Um, we um, hope that this has helped if anyone has been experiencing um, those types of thoughts. Um, and that Alice's um, experience and journey might have helped. Um, do tune into her podcast, which is called Dark Coffee, which you will find on iTunes and SoundCloud. Yes, I'm going to put it on SoundCloud now. Okay, <laughs> um, but definitely on iTunes and probably a whole bunch of other podcast apps that mm-hmm. are out there that are on, on Android devices. Yeah. Um, focus on you, I think, is the, the main takeaway from today. And um, hopefully after that, you will get a better night's sleep. Thank you. If you feel that you may be struggling to cope or would like some advice on how to improve your mental health, there are links to a variety of support groups in our show notes. Please check them out on SoundCloud or iTunes. Present, like the fear from-